Glory to you, O Lord. Our gospel this morning is from St. John, chapter 4, verses 5 through 30, and then verses 39 through 42, and can be found on page 1651 in your pew Bible. John records, So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, and near a plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. And it was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? And his disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans, is what John commented on. So Jesus answered her this, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did all of his sons and his livestock? And Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. And he told her this, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. And Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is that you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is... Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but... You Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is Spirit, and his worships, worshipers must worship in Spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that the Messiah called Christ is coming, and when he comes, he will explain everything to us. 
And then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking, is he. Just then, his disciples returned, and they were surprised to see him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want, or why are you talking with her? And then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town, and she said to the people, come, see, a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And they came out of the town, and they made their way toward him. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. And they said to the woman, We no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves. And we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. You may be seated. Will you pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. In the name of Jesus. During the time that after Jesus rose from the dead and before he ascended into heaven, he gave instructions to his church. Luke records in Luke 24, 46 and 47, Jesus' words, he said, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer, should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning with Jerusalem. The preaching of repentance means confronting people in their sin, in their idolatry, in their disrespect, in their hatred, in their gospel, their adultery, and all the other ways that they break God's law. When Jesus tells his church to preach repentance, he himself tells us to make people aware of their need for a Savior by making them aware of sin. That is what repentance is. Then, when the terror of sin forces them to see the need for a Savior, the sweet, sweet gospel tells them exactly who that Savior is. The sweet gospel tells of the forgiveness of sin in Jesus' name. It tells people that Jesus Christ is the one and only true God. 
begotten of the Father from eternity, and also true man, born of the Virgin Mary. It tells people that he has redeemed them. He has redeemed them, those who are lost and condemned creatures. He purchased and won them from all sins, from death and from the power of the devil. It tells people that he did this not with gold or with silver, but with his holy, precious blood and his innocent suffering and death, so that we may be his own, that we may live under him in his kingdom and serve him in everlasting righteousness, innocence, and blessedness, just as he has risen from the dead and lives and reigns in all eternity. The more that we understand about our sin, the deeper the love of God becomes to us. Jesus once described this love when people criticized a sinful woman for washing his feet. He said this, and Luke records it in Luke seven forty-seven. Perhaps you'll remember or recognize this. Jesus said, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. Let me unpack this. With these, with these words, Jesus teaches us that the one who feels sin the greatest, the one who feels sin the greatest, loves the Savior the most. There's another saying, perhaps you've heard it, that puts it this way, and it does it well. The only people who go to heaven are those who know they deserve to go to hell. Just yesterday, just yesterday morning, a man who I know, someone I love, somebody I respect, said this. I don't know why he came and, to, and he chose me, that he chose to save me but I'm sure glad he did. This week's gospel has many things to teach us. And one of those things is the example of Jesus as he proclaimed repentance and the forgiveness of sins to that woman at the well. From this encounter, we learn how Jesus deals with all of us, every single one of us, as he sends his servants to terrify us with the law so that we can receive the salvation of the gospel. The interaction began like this, as you'll recall, as Jesus asked the woman for a drink of water. And this was strange for, for two reasons. First of all, the woman was a Samaritan, and the Jews did not get along with the Samaritans. It is, it's very likely that the Jews and the Samaritans would have been at war had it not been for the Roman occupation. And the second thing that is unusual 
was that she was a woman. And men at the time generally had little, if anything, to do with a woman who was outside of their extended family. And that is the reason that the Samaritan woman expressed such surprise with a reply when she said, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? And then, as I read in in the gospel this morning, John the evangelist, kind of the reporter on the spot, says, For Jews had no dealings with the Samaritans, just so that you know. But that was important enough for him to write that, to explain it to us. This was unusual. Then Jesus, we read, began talking to her about living water. And last week, you'll recall that Jesus had told Nicodemus that he had to be born of water and spirit. And now this week, He is the source. Jesus is the source of living water. Water that will become a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. And the woman was intrigued. And that is when Jesus began to work on her with the law. Let me explain. Jesus said to her this, Go call your husband and then come here. Go away, get your husband, come back. And this was a reasonable request. It really was. As I said before, men did not normally interact with women outside of their family. Instead, a man normally went through another man, uh, a man who was closely related to the woman, a husband, a father, an adult son, or some other close relative. And it is in this case, however, that this ordinary request began a process that would cause the woman to confront her guilt. She had no husband. And then Jesus just laid her sins out before her. He said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands. And the one that you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. And Jesus laid out this woman's lifestyle of adultery, a sin that was punishable by death, a sin that is still evil in God's eye today, a sin that, eter- that, that earns eternal punishment. He laid it right out for her to see. And it may, it may seem that God is cruel when he forces us to face our sin. But that is not the case. This is actually part of the love that God has for us. As the Holy Spirit shows our sin to us, He shows that we cannot save ourselves. He shows us that we must receive our salvation from outside of ourselves. He shows us our need for a Savior. And it is this reality check with the law that prepares us for the living water of the gospel. 
In a similar way, it may seem that a pastor, your pastor, any pastor, may seem cruel, judgmental, arrogant, and so forth when he points out our sin. In fact, it is just the opposite. No one, no one can become a Christian until they have a sense of their own sin. No one can remain a Christian unless they remain ever aware of their own sin. And Jesus himself often taught that the appreciation for the love of the Savior only deepens as the awareness of our sin increases. And when a pastor points out the depth of your sin, it is only because he wants you to appreciate the infinitely greater love of the Father and of the Savior. You need to remember that a faithful pastor understands himself to be a sinner of the blackest evil. That he simply wants you to know the great comfort of a Savior who can forgive even his most grievous sins. You see, once the law has softened our hearts, the Holy Spirit uses the living water of the gospel to show our Savior to us. And notice how Jesus brought the gospel to the woman at the well. Jesus said, or rather, the woman said to Jesus, that I know that the Messiah is coming, he who is called the Christ. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. And then Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. And the same Jesus who presented this woman with her sin, just now he shows her the salvation from that sin. It is Jesus who is the gospel in the flesh. He is the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one. He is the Savior from all of our sins. The Holy Spirit used the words to work faith in this woman. It was just as Jesus had said. She became a spring of living water. The living water of the gospel quickly became a fountain in this woman. The woman left her water jar and she went away into the town and said to the people, Come, see, a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? The living water produced an instant missionary. God used the living water of the gospel that came out of this adulterous woman to perform a, an immense miracle. 
You see, a Samaritan town, a Samaritan town asked a Jewish rabbi to teach them. And he did. He taught them for two days. Imagine this. Can you imagine today Palestinians allowing a Jewish rabbi to teach them for two whole days? Eventually, the people of this town confessed, we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. These people only had the books of Moses, but that was enough. They knew that this was the seed of the woman that God had promised to Adam and Eve in the garden. They knew that this was the offspring of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, through whom all the nations of the world would be blessed. They knew this was the fulfillment of all the sacrifices required by the law of Moses. And they knew that this was God's sacrifice who would give up his life for the sins of the world. And because Jesus lovingly hammered a Samaritan woman with the law, a whole Samaritan village came to the knowledge of God's salvation through the teaching of a Jewish rabbi, a Jewish rabbi who is their Savior. And it is interesting to compare this week's gospel with last week's gospel. For last week's gospel told us about the conversation that Jesus had with Nicodemus the Pharisee. This week's gospel tells us about a Samaritan woman at the well. And these two gospels are just just one chapter apart in the gospel according to John. And, And I have to think, that the Holy Spirit inspired this arrangement so that we would make this comparison. The comparison is this. From a cultural viewpoint, these two people were about as far as part away as possible. A Jew versus a Samaritan. A man versus a woman. A righteous Pharisee versus a sinful adulteress. It would be very hard to find two people who were more different in the first century Israel. (coughs) Excuse me. Now, as we compare these people, we notice that the woman at the well, the woman at the well responded to Jesus immediately. Did you catch that? Immediately. She got up, she left her jar and went into town. Nicodemus, however, the Pharisee, he took more time. The sinful adulteress became a Christian faster than the righteous Pharisee. Hmm. We see this throughout the Gospels. We do. We see tax collectors and prostitutes and other sinners. They came to Jesus in droves. Meanwhile, the people who thought they were righteous, they stayed away. The people who should get it, don't get it. And the people who should not get it receive it with eager hearts. The people who felt their guilt the very most came to Jesus first. And the people who felt their guilt the least 
came to Jesus the last, if they came at all. The Bible's main message is that the Son of God took on human flesh, that he lived a perfect life under the law, and he died on the cross in order to save sinners. And it is the duty of your pastor to proclaim Christ and him crucified. It is the duty of your pastor to proclaim that so that you qualify for that salvation. When flight attendants give instructions for emergencies at the beginning of the flight, you know, the ones that nobody pays attention to, they tell the passengers to place the oxygen mask on themselves first and then go and take care of the people around them. And in a similar way, when Jesus tells the church to proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of sins in his name, I need to proclaim it to myself first. I need to begin with my own evil self and the forgiveness that Jesus has for me. And only then can I proclaim that message to others. It is only when the church proclaims the message to herself first that she can go on and proclaim it to the world. Our message to the world is this. Well, let me tell you what it's not. Our message is not that Christians are better than anyone else. It is that Christians are in the process of becoming honest about our sins. And it is only as we see our true depravity in the law that we begin to see the love that God has for us. In that, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, Romans 5, 8. Through that death, we receive forgiveness of sins, life, and salvation. For there is forgiveness of sins, and there is also life and salvation. It is in the name of Jesus. Amen.